This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the TuneIn radio app. And I'm Lyle Tathel and this is... Lawson Walters. And we're back for the time being. Yes, we are. Which is pretty awesome. Oh, man. We're back for Encounter with God time. All right, we have... uh, I've I've figured out the answer to the clue for the quiz, but Lawson, uh, mm. nobody's called in for it yet. No, they haven't. So yeah, step your game up, fellas. Let's do this. It's a hard one. It is, but we let's let's actually let's do a review of okay. the clues right, right. so far. Quick so, entry. what am I? Proverbs eleven twenty nine declares that this will be the only thing inherited by a person who brings trouble on his family. The Lord God Almighty is he who forms mountains, reveals his thoughts to man, turns dawn to darkness, and creates this thing. God used this to divide the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites to cross by on dry ground. The next clue is, on the day of Pentecost, the sound of, uh, the sound of this came from heaven and filled the house where about 120 disciples had gathered. So if you know the answer to this to this quiz from these clues, uh, you can give us a call 1-800-324-843 and you will get a book. Uh, I believe it's called, yeah, yeah, Spirit Baptism and New Wineskin Fellowship. You'll get that book. Yeah, kind of, kind of, um, kind of, uh, kind of goes with that last clue there, Lawson. Kind of goes with that last clue. The, uh, the, yeah. the, the prize. There's, yes. a, there's a relationship between the two, mm. which is definitely interesting. Which we're not going to talk about. No. Because, hey, man. Did you give the clue away the other day? Yeah, yeah, I fully <laughs> did. I'm like, now I'm scared. I'm uh, like, it's made we've, all, real, we've all done it once now. It's made I've done me it like three times. timid to, to talk about the clues. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to back right off. Cause I'm the sound of a great and mighty and rushing. Wow, why would you do that? <laughs> that is, you're playing, just to with, see, just you're to playing see, with fire. Just to friend. see whether I could resist. Anyway, our Bible study for today, uh, Encounter with God, of course, is our 20 million movement, 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. And I've been super, super bummed to miss out over the last few weeks because we have been studying the book of Nehemiah, which Mm. has some of the most amazing history in it ever. And I love history and I love the book of Nehemiah and Nehemiah is one of my all-time heroes and I've missed a whole bunch of chapters. I'm super sad about that. Rough gig. Yeah. Yeah. Salty, I think salty that was the word used to be used a while ago. <laughs> You're tilted. That that's a new one. Tilted. Tilted. Okay, so tilted. Yeah, yeah. yeah all right. Yeah. I got to I got to keep up with these. Um, <laughs> with the latest lingo. <laughs> salty. That's about what three years old now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's. Hey, I preached a sermon about it at church one time. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Yeah, I preached a sermon about being salty people. Absolutely. That's <laughs> back in the day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some of these some of these um sayings they have a uh a very short lifespan. Mm. And they arrive and then they disappear. Okay, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 5 and let's jump into verse 7. All right, the Bible says After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? 
Then they then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, slavery, and I think you've probably already talked a little bit about slavery um, in uh, in the last couple of Bible studies, but um, we're particularly going to talk about uh, this particular passage right here, and one of the um, one of the things we're going to talk about is um, the whole. <laughs> Lawson's trying to communicate with me here at the moment. I have no idea what he's, you know, <laughs> where he's going. Where's he going to launch into this Bible study? And and uh, <clears throat> and look at this uh, at this particular passage. I like the way that it starts off in the KJV, uh-huh. where it says, "Then I consulted with myself." Have you ever consulted with yourself, Lawson? Oh, like like thought about some stuff for for a sat while. down had a conversation with yourself. Oh, fully. <laughs> it's, it, it, where that like really manifests itself is the classic pros and cons list. Okay, where you have you know you have that conversation of like, oh, this will be good, this won't be good. You just bought a car the other yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yesterday, yeah. you buy this yesterday? No, no, no. I bought it last week. Last week. But, okay, but yeah, like I saw know, it for the first time uh, during the break. It was very very nice. Yeah. But that's classic. Like you sit down and you go pros and cons of any situation. Do I buy the 2011 model? Do I buy the 2012 <laughs> model? Do I buy the 2013 model? What is the price difference between them? Which one has more Ks on it? Which one has less Ks on it? Which one has more rego? Which one has less rego? You know, all that kind of stuff. You sit down and consult with yourself. Mm-hmm. And obviously you take these things to God in prayer. I know that I always do. And... Uh, and then, you know, we make a decision based on that and, and away we go. And so what you've got here is that Nehemiah has consulted with himself and he has rebuked the nobles and the rulers um, and he has, has assembled a great assembly against them. Okay, why is it why is it that he has assembled a great assembly against them? What do you think is actually taking place here? Um, well, essentially, you know, we, we've seen in the previous chapter that all the people are struggling. There's like this huge struggle going on. Um, you know, they don't have enough money to buy food, um, and that's leading them to, you know, and they don't have enough money to pay the tax as well. In, in many ways, they've got a similar situation to what we've got here in Australia right now. Mm. They've had a drought, um, and as a result of that, they have had to borrow money to buy food. Mm-hmm. They have had to borrow money to buy pay taxes. I've got to tell you, when you are borrowing money to pay tax... You, you're in trouble. You are in really, really bad trouble. You know, it's like when you're borrowing money to um, pay, f- you know, borrowing, going into debt to pay for debt or to pay for interest <laughs> and that kind it's of like, thing. It's like paying for a credit card bill with a credit card. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you are spiraling out of control. And, you know, sometimes that comes about as a result of very bad decision making. Mm-hmm. And when it comes about as a result of very bad decision making and pretty much... Um, in urban Australia, when that happens, it's a result of bad decision making. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can live very cheaply. It's not difficult to live cheaply in Australia. Amen. But the problem is that most people who are in the low socioeconomic, um, you know, uh, demographic of Australia, do not live cheaply. They live incredibly expensively, and that's why they end up in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so they spend money on all of the needless things like alcohol or um, cigarettes, you know, because smoking is a big thing in low socioeconomic circles, um, or drugs. And so they're spending money on all the things that they don't need rather than spending money on the things that they do need. Uh, I had an interesting experience because you know, the first – the first 10 years of uh, ministry that Shell and I did together, 
Um, we were living in Sydney. We were raising two mm. children. Um, we were single income. We were homeschooling. And um, we were living on $30,000 a year and paying rent in Sydney. Mm. You know, you try that. <laughs> you know, that was, that was, what was that, 95, 2005, something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I challenge anybody to try, try that. But yet people never had any idea how poor we actually were mm. because we did not live like poor people. And the reason that we did not live like poor people was one, because of the unbelievable blessing of God, mm. and two, because poor people generally spend their money on things that they don't need. And we weren't doing that. Mm. We, lived, we lived well. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, I look, we look back on those, um, on those poor years, so to speak, and we were not lacking for anything. Mm. Um, when I was a kid, I had a similar experience when um, I was nine years old. We were poor that year. There was a whole bunch of circumstances that sort of collided together so that we were poor. Mm. And my dad would come home and pay all the bills and you know, return his tithe and so forth and offerings. And having done that, he would give my mum what was left over, and that was $5 a week for housekeeping. That was to buy food. That was to buy clothing. That was to buy detergent. That was to buy everything. $5 a week. Okay, this was 1980, mm-hmm. and $5 a week would go further than what it does today. Uh-huh. But it was still only five dollars a week. Yeah, you know, and I look on look back on those on, on that year as being the highlight of my childhood. Mm. You know, that was our most fun year. We had nothing, but we had each other, and we had fun, and we weren't destroying our lives by making foolish decisions on what we spent our on our money mm. on. Okay, so in urban Australia, you know, really. Um, a lot of the poverty comes around comes about as a result of poor decision making, and we need to. If you are in poverty, you need to learn to make good decisions. Mm. In rural Australia, right now, of course, um, that's a, and regional Australia, that's a very very different kettle of fish because we have a drought. And we're going to come back and talk more about the circumstances that these people found themselves in um, right after this. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so they had been a drought, and we know that that was the case because they were borrowing money to buy food. Mm-hmm. And when you are borrowing money to buy food, you know that things are pretty desperate because you know food is. <laughs> if there's any money to go around, food is where it's going to really start from. Particularly, you know, this was a time period when in which housing was not that hard to accomplish. Housing was simply a matter of going and collecting stones and timber and building a house. Yeah. There was no council inspection. There was nothing that, you know, other requirements other than you having, um, being of sound body and sound mind, you could build a house for no cost. Mm-hmm. So shelter was not a problem. Uh, food was definitely a problem. And so clearly there had been a drought. Crops had failed. People were borrowing money to buy food. And as a result, they had got themselves into a debt spiral. They had then ended up owing tax. Um, and so they had borrowed money to pay tax. Um, and then they had mortgaged their lands to pay the tax, the lands in which that they would use to pay off the money that they had borrowed and mortgaged to pay the tax, but they couldn't do that because they were making no money off the land because there was a drought and because there was a famine. It was just this a, was a, this was a, huge a debt spiral. Yeah. A debt spiral. Um, and, of course, that ended up with them declaring bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, the... In those days, if you declared bankruptcy, that's fair enough. Okay, you're bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that you starve. Mm-hmm. Or 
your alternative was to become a slave. Become and a so slave. they had sold each other into slavery. Part of the craziness that was involved in this, of course, was that for a lot of the people who had returned to Judah mm-hmm. from Persia had been slaves in Persia. Yeah. The reason they had their freedom was that um, other Jews and probably you know wealthy Jews like Nehemiah had probably purchased the freedom of a lot of those slaves, and so you know they come up on the slave market. It's like, yep, there's a bunch of Jews down there. Uh, they're on the slave market in the town, uh, the city of Shushan, for instance, in Persia, mm-hmm. and so wealthy Jews would go down there, buy up all the Jews that were um, on auction in the slave market give them their freedom and send them back to the land of Judah. Mm. Now they're in poverty and they are being they are ending up in slavery again and of course wherever you have poverty you have wealth as well. Yeah. Because poverty is really just a redistribution of wealth in an unequitable manner. Mm-hmm. And so um, the gap is widening between the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. So whenever you have a debt spiral, what it creates is a bigger and bigger gap because if you are one of those fortunate ones that when a debt spiral starts are able to keep your head above water, then suddenly everything becomes cheap mm-hmm. and suddenly yeah. everything suddenly you are tremendously advantaged while everybody else is tremendously disadvantaged. That's exactly what happened in Australia in during the global financial crisis. Yeah. That we yep. kept a head above water and then everything like, you know, the... Aussie dollar, you know, over the next couple of years went up and everything was cheap. That's right. And so if you can do that and, you know, you, you get a recession and people that have cash, they're sitting pretty. Mm. You know, because the, 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 the land values plummet, all that kind of stuff happens, you know, back in when was it the late 80s, early 90s when interest rates went up to like, what, 16 17% and all the farms went up for sale. Mm. And when all the farms went up for sale, of course, the price of those farms dropped and people who had cash bought up and then the interest rates dropped and they were all sitting pretty. And mm. so it, it creates a debt spiral and a wealth gap. Yeah. And so this is what had happened. Um, there's a big wealth gap that has been created here. And as a result of that, you've got people who were slaves who were purchased by somebody else as a gift, who have come to Judah, they have got their feet on the ground, they have excelled in business, a debt spiral has begun, and they've floated to the top while everybody else has floated to the bottom, and now they are buying up everybody else. Mm -hmm. So they were slaves, their slavery was purchased, their freedom was gifted to them, And now they're owning all these other slaves. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty messed up situation. Yeah. yeah. And so the Bible says that Nehemiah, uh, first of all, he consults with himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go off half cocked. He uh, stops and thinks about it and um, comes up with a plan. Then the Bible says that he gets an assembly together. What's this assembly all about? Um, to judge the people who have been doing this incorrect thing, right? Yes. Why? Why would he do it in an assembly? Why wouldn't he just, um, you know, pull together all of the uh, the wealthy class of Judah and sit them down and say, "Hey, we need to sort this out." 
I, th- I think it was, you know, a big part of the culture at the time. Like, the, the context in which it happens is that all the Jews have come together to rebuild the wall and they're all united and then there's a group of them who are, like, exploiting everyone else. And so it, I think there would be a, a good amount of social pressure there that, hey, you need to stop doing this if they're all pulled together. Okay, I, I, I like where you're going with that uh, because I see exactly the same kind of, That's exactly what I see taking place here. You've got a situation where if he gets together with the wealthy elite, these are the most powerful people in the, in, the, uh, in the nation. And people who have power and who have wealth and who have money aren't usually the kind of people that are keen to suddenly find themselves disadvantaged and say, like, yeah, let's vote ourselves a pay cut. Mm-hmm. When was the last time that politicians voted themselves a pay cut? Oh, and like never. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when has that ever happened anywhere in the world ever? It hasn't. Okay, so they're not about to vote themselves a pay cut. And so Nehemiah, has, he stops and thinks about this. He is about to make enemies with the most powerful people in Judah. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people who have backed him in the rebuilding of the wall, given him great support. And now he is about to financially disadvantage them, mm-hmm. which is going to be a pretty serious kind of a... Uh, you know, if he just walks in and is like, hey, I'm the governor, therefore, you're going to do this. No questions asked. No uh, negotiation will be mm. allowed. That's not really good leadership. No. What he demonstrates here is very, very good leadership because he actually carries the people with him. He calls mm. a general assembly, just a general assembly <clears throat> of the Jews. Because no one can argue with calling a general assembly of the Jews. Then he lays out the problem. Mm-hmm. He puts the problem before them. Then they are now in a situation where it's like, well, you know what? We are wealthy. We have been working together. We do have this great spirit of solidarity that has been taking place. People who were slaves and people who were in poverty worked just as hard on building the wall as people who were incredibly wealthy. Everybody's pitched in. And you know what? We used to be a slave. You know, you imagine you're sitting there like Nehemiah is talking to you and it's like, well, I used to be a slave. And, and let's say that, you know, Nehemiah, there is every chance, there is every possibility that some of these slaves were personally purchased by Nehemiah in mm. Persia and given their freedom. Because Nehemiah would have been one of the most wealthy, influential Jews that there were in the entire empire. Yeah, fully. And so let's say that your freedom was purchased by Nehemiah, gifted to you. Mm. You've gone to Judah. Um, you've done well for yourself. You now own a bunch of Jewish slaves. Mm-hmm. And Nehemiah comes to you with this here. How are you feeling right now? Ooh, pretty rough. <laughs> pretty, pretty raw. Like. <laughs> Cut to the heart. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so let's, um, let's just look at some of these uh, verses here again. Um, let me see here. Let's, let's, let's go through. Give us verse eight. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed. We, sorry, we have redeemed to our, sorry, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Okay, this is interesting because um, Nehemiah is addressing the nobles. Mm-hmm. And he addresses them as we. And the reason that he does so he includes himself amongst them because he is powerful mm-hmm. and he is wealthy. Yeah. 
And he says, we've done this, and it was a good thing. So he begins by telling them, you know, it was a great thing that you did in um, buying back Jewish people from the Persians who were in slavery so that you could set them free. Mm. And like, we are all in this together. We have all done this together. Mm. And then he's like, okay, now we have done this together, and yet now you are owning, you know, your fellow Jewish people. Um, we've bought them out of slavery and put them straight back in again. Mm. You know, you're in that situation, Lawson. What are you going to say? You got nothing to say right there. Yeah, it's rough gig. But we're going to get back to this Bible study right after this. This is Melissa Otto with He Is Wonderful. Flood your love into the pain of emptiness To open my eyes to unquenchable love That gave everything for my freedom Even my Saviour's blood He is wonderful No one is like his love unfathomable no Cover myself in vain You came to me with your own white garments You came to me by your sacrifice He is wonderful No
back, everybody. Um, we were listening to Melissa Otto here on Faith FM, and Lawson is about to give us another clue for our quiz. All right, next clue for the quiz. Remember, if you know the answer, please call us 1-800-324-843, and you'll get a prize completely for free. But here we go. What am I? Jesus said, this blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. Mm. The story of Nicodemus. Yeah, so if you, that's in, in John chapter 3. It is indeed. So if you want to read that or if you just know the answer already, give us a call or text us on 0491 and you will get... What's the book called again? Man, I keep putting it behind my computer. New Wine like, Skin Fellowship. The Spirit Baptism and New Wine Skip, New Wine Skin Fellowship. But we're going to continue on Smith. with our Bible study. Ah, uh, indeed we are. Absolutely, very much so. Um, super excited about this Bible study coming out of the book of Nehemiah. Um, if we continue on in the verses that we were reading here we find that Nehemiah himself had been involved in this whole process. And this is one of the reasons why he uses the word we. And so you can you can very clearly see that uh, Nehemiah has been very, very diplomatic about how he's re- approached this situation. He could have very, very easily sided with the people, created a situation of mob rule, and forced the hand of the nobles because, you know, you've got the wealthy minority and the poor majority. You could have mm-hmm. called the assembly together, very, very large assembly. The um, the wealthy would have been incredibly outnumbered. They would have felt incredibly pressured. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, he could have forced their hand. He has done this to a certain extent, but then he stands up in front of the assembly and he says these words here. I press them further. What you're doing is not right. Uh, should you not walk in the fear of the God, fear of our God, in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I'm going to come back and talk about that in a moment. I myself, right? See, so notice what he does here in front of the assembly. He's not singling out the wealthy nobles and saying these are the bad guys over here. Mm. He includes himself amongst them. He says, "I myself." as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now, let us stop this business of charging interest. Mm. Okay, so he includes himself amongst it. And so if anybody is going to be shamed right here, he's like, hey, we're all in this together. And I think this is a really important thing that we need to do as preachers because when we're preaching the Word of God, sometimes it's very easy to stand up the front and preach righteousness and to you know, kind of set ourselves apart from um, the congregation. Yeah, and it's like all of you and point the finger down at the congregation rather than saying, hey, we're all in this together. You know what? We all need to lift our game. We can all do better. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's um it's a great tactic that Nehemiah uses in uh, in 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 this particular um, situation that he finds himself in. And of course, it's because Nehemiah is you know like the the whole Jewish nation. They've just got so much skin in the game. Like it's he's he's gone down this route because Nehemiah at this point is not in the business of dividing the people. He's no, like, that's the, right. The thing that we need right now is unity yes. at all costs. Like there, there is a time for 
you know, creating divisions. Like it, it happens, and and there are times for for you know, and and not that it's ideal in any way, but because you know people are doing the wrong thing, like in a circumstance like this. But Nehemiah is like, look, guys, like we just need to get this wall built. Let's let's just go because he's he's very mission orientated. Yeah, he's like he knows what's need what needs to happen, and therefore he's like, okay, this is the way I'm going to go about it, which is awesome. And, and what we need to remember is that this is basically a new colony. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a part of the world that has been basically uninhabited for seventy years. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least forty years has been very, very uninhabited. It's like a new colony. It's 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 in desperate and dire straits as a colony because starting a new colony is actually quite challenging. Yeah. Um, and there are many, many examples of people who have endeavoured to you know travel to a new part of the world, start a new colony, and that colony has failed. Yeah. And this one is hanging on, but it's only hanging on by its teeth, by the mm. skin of its teeth, is just you know surviving. And you can't have these kinds of divisions coming about in a new colony like this, mm. um, where they, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get their feet back on the ground. They're trying to uh, to rebuild their wall, and you know, the poverty is just you know off the wall. I mean, even you look here in in Australia, you know, and there was a time in the early history of Australia when they ran out of currency. Mm. It's a new colony. They suddenly they ran out of currency. No one was getting paid anymore, <laughs> and so they captured the Spanish. Ship and it had a chest of coins on it, so they're like, "Oh, we'll use Spanish currency." Um, <laughs> and some of those coins, they cut them up into uh, five different pieces to make, you know, smaller pieces of currency, just so that they could trade. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is wild. Rough, rough. That is wild, rough. <laughs> dude. It makes me glad, like back in the day, that there would have been some kind of form of subsistence living that it wasn't completely currency. Base like everything, like yeah, they would have somewhat survived. Imagine if that happened today. It's just like oh, oh yeah, no, 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 it, no. It'd be very, like, very, very, very few people that would know how to subsistence survive <laughs> in Australia. Like you're living in the middle of Sydney in a high-rise building, and it's just like oh, I'm sorry, there's no more money, no more food, there's no more currency. It's done. It's over. It's over. That would be rough. <laughs> you're done. You are absolutely done. Okay, one of the points that he raises here with the assembly is that if we do not walk in the fear of our God, we will be mocked by enemy nations. Mm. Why do you think the enemy nations would be mocking them? I think it, it just comes down to the fact that it was it was the mingling with enemy nations and like, you know, apostasy that led them to this place. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, it was, they were mocked by enemy nations in the way that ultimately like... They were a group of people standing up and striving for something, yet which they themselves couldn't, couldn't do in a way. They were, they were being hypocrites. It's like they were standing up for something and then they were not standing up for something. You know, they were acting the same way as, as the people around them. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, it, you know, the worst, the worst, you know, people talk about, you know, our witness as Christians. It's like the worst witness is the hypocritical one. Mm-hmm. Where you you know you take your you know you put your foot forward and say oh, I'm a Christian and then you go and do very unChristian things. And for- I'm a Christian, so therefore I'm going to buy these people slavery because buy these people out of slavery because that's a Christian thing to do. Yes, and then I'm going to put them into slavery under me. Mm. No, no, like- that's like really, really hypocritical, right there. Exactly. And so, you, of course, they're going to become like the nations would mock them because, like, oh, they're the Jews. They're just the people who claim to be holy, but then 
just like everyone else. Yeah. And this is one of the biggest, you know, uh, I guess, protests against modern Christianity uh, or Christianity in general through the ages. It's been like, oh, look at all these people who claim to be righteous and holier than thou, and then they go and do terrible things. Of course, you know, that's that then people then let that reflect onto Christianity and the ethos of Christianity and onto God itself. But no, it's just a reflection of bad people. Indeed, doing it bad is. Bad things. Yeah. So. Okay, and so, you know, obviously the nations, you know, around them were, and this is a period in which the Samaritans were a much, much more powerful nation than what the mm. Jews were. The Jews are just like a tiny little micronation, and they're surrounded by incredibly powerful enemies, um, and the Samaritans were a big, big, uh, powerful nation. Uh, congratulations to Sally, who has um, answered the quiz correctly, and, of course, the answer for the quiz was wind. Wind. Yes. Anyway, this is uh, Randy Travis with How Great They Are. You're listening to Faith FM. Oh, Lord, my God, when I'm in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou! sings my soul my savior God to Take me home What joy Shall fill my heart Then I shall bow In humble adoration And there pro Great thou art. 
and sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou! My soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Gillen here. I'm from your Seventh Adventist Church in Warrigal. We just want to invite you and your family to worship Jesus Christ with us on Saturdays. We have a kids program and an adult Bible study starting at 10 a.m. Then the service is at 11:30. For more information, Google Seventh Adventist Church in Warrigal. Is forgiveness or the lack of forgiveness eating away at you? A relationship breakdown, maybe long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
left to lose And yet I have everything Everything in you Welcome back, everybody. You listen to Faith FM 87.6, or 88, right across the Faith FM network. And we have come to question of the day time. Our question of the day, a most interesting uh, question, has come in in relationship to the book of Revelation. And the question is, who are the two witnesses? So let's flick over to Revelation chapter 11, where we find this fascinating prophecy about the two witnesses. And let's discover exactly who the Bible says that the two witnesses are. Of course, there are a lot of people who assume that the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. And we've got some good reason for that assumption, but that would be an assumption. The prophecy begins in verse 3 where it says, And if I, and I will give power to my two witnesses, uh, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man hurts them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Um, and so on. It, it, it continues on. They have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Who are these two mysterious witnesses right here? Now, based on what they do, um, turning water into blood, bringing fire down from heaven, and so forth. There are many people who assume that this is Moses and Elijah who have um, been you know, brought back to witness here on this earth. However, we know that they are not Moses and Elijah, although they are clearly related to Moses and Elijah, because in verse 7 the Bible says, And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And then, of course, three and a half days later, they are uh, resurrected again. So let's consider Moses and Elijah, and let's see... 
consider the fact that the two witnesses here are actually killed. If we go to Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 28 and 29, uh, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray, and he prayed, and the fashion of his countenance was changed, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. The key here is that Moses and Elijah have been taken to heaven and have glorified bodies. If you then flick over to Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, the Bible says that when people are taken to heaven, the Bible says when we're taken to heaven, we will, uh, that Jesus will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And then if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 53, you are going to find right over there that... Um, immortal, a glorified body means that you are immortal and so impossible to die, not subject to death. And so we know that this is not Moses and Elijah. It cannot be Moses and Elijah because these two witnesses do die. However, who are they? We need to find out exactly who they are. And there are four identifying marks that the Bible gives us for the two witnesses. Number one. The Bible refers to them as witnesses. Number two, the Bible refers to them as prophets. Number three, the Bible says, and let's go over to Revelation chapter three, chapter 11, uh, verse 4, because here the Bible tells you exactly who they are. Revelation 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, these are. That's a defining verse right there. It's going to tell you exactly who they are. These are the two candlesticks. So we know that they're two candlesticks and also the two olive trees. So if we can find out uh, what is the common denominator between witnesses, prophets, candlesticks, and olive trees, then we are going to be able to understand exactly who the two witnesses are. Okay, so let's think about this. What do candlesticks symbolize? Psalms 119 verse 105, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The candlestick is a symbol here of the word of God. What about witnesses? What does that signify? Well, if we go to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, the Bible says, When this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness, the gospel is what goes out as a witness. The candlestick's a symbol of the word. The witness is a symbol of the gospel. The Bible goes on to say that um, these um, operate as prophets. And we find in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, when, the, when Jesus speaks about um, the Word of God. He describes the Word of God as Moses and the prophets, beginning at Moses and the prophets. That's Luke 24 and verse 27. And so once again, the Word of God. And finally, you go to Zechariah, where you find uh, right here this statement in chapter 4, uh, beginning in, well, let's uh, skip down to verse... You've got the whole description there, but we're running out of time. So let's skip down to verse 6, where the Bible describes the two olive trees. And in verse 6, he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is, in other words, the two olive trees are the word of the Lord. The two witnesses are the word of God, the Old and the New Testament. Awesome. Uh, if you have any more questions of the day, text us at 0491064669. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Measure 
worshippers bowing but leave out the court The nations will trample its forty two months Bathe in the tears of the worshipping ones Bathe in the tears of the worshipping ones All of trees lamps dance bearing the light When they end their story the beast ends their lives They die at the hand of this beast from the pit And Egypt and Sodom take pleasure in it And Egypt and Sodom take pleasure in it But nobody laughs when God's very breath Brings those two witnesses back from the dead Nobody laughs about crumbling Their hearts out then come to their end But three and a half years later they stand Earthquake and terror come over the land Earthquake and terror come over the land But nobody laughs when God's very breath Brings those two witnesses back from the dead Nobody laughs about crumbling walls when the city falls. Nobody laughs at a powerful God. Every knee will bow. I just pray from the depths of my heart that no one is laughing No one 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM, and it's good to be back on the air again with Lawson. Of course, we've come to the end of our show, and at the end of our show, we have something to give away. Lawson, what are we giving away today? Yes, we have a giveaway, and that giveaway is a book. This is a book called Love's Lives, God's Replies by Dustin Hall. This is a one. This is a book that we've given away um, a number of times, and it's just about how yeah, godly love is so pure and amazing and how we should strive to seek and to follow and to understand and to find out what that is uh, rather than listen to the deceit of the world. So if you want this book, give us a call, uh, 1-800-324-843, and we'll give it to you completely for free. Of course, you can text us as well as at 0491064669. And yeah, basically, we'll, we'll hook you up. We love giving stuff away. Absolutely, we always do. And that's what we do at the end of our show uh, each 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 day, wherever, each day, whenever we're on air. So if if you're just mm. a uh, a new listener to the show, do not ever ever miss the end of the show where the free giveaways are coming. So give us a call one eight hundred three two four eight four three is the number, or text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Be the first person to contact us, and that book is coming to you for free. Now, of course, at the end of our show, we all also do like to remind you that if you would like to study the Bible yourself then we love to connect people with the Bible. That's what we are all about here on Faith FM. And so contact us, 1-800-324-843. Text us, 0491-064-669. And if you do so, we can make sure that uh, there is some way you can study the Bible. We, we, we can uh, set it up uh, by correspondence or online. Uh, we can send somebody to give you a, uh, a one-on-one Bible study or even... Join a local small group, which is always an excellent way of reading and sharing the Bible together. Just 